I have been burned by disingenuous people and unethical people more in the yoga industry than I was like stabbed in the back in corporate America for 14 years. Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, and welcome back to Shoulders Down. I am coming to you from California, which is so exciting. We just literally got here yesterday. We had been driving across the country for like two weeks-ish, and now we are settling. We landed at Al's parents' house. We're going to be here until we figure out our living situation and get a place of our own. And I am excited to get back to work and seeing clients and making content and sharing bi-weekly episodes with you here. So this is a super long episode today, all full of amazing, amazing stuff. So I don't want to take too much time in the intro. I just want to be able to dive right in. Just a few things up front. Today, our guest on the episode is Erica Stanzioni. I will read her bio and share more about her formally, but I first just want to share my personal connection with her. So I had been living in the city for the past few years. I say the city, like that's such a, (laughs) looking back, I'm like, that's such like a New Yorker snob thing to say, like just assuming you know it's New York City. But I was living in Brooklyn, New York for the past few years, and I started going to Erica's yoga class once a week on Thursdays. And I just really connected with her and could see this really powerful overlap between the work that she does and the work that I do as an anti-diet intuitive eating dietitian. And I had wanted to ask her to come on on the podcast for a while and finally asked her um, towards the end of my time living in New York. And we got to record this episode a few weeks ago. I am so excited for her to share her wisdom with you. She is incredible. This episode is a little different in that it's not really about food. It's more about intuitive living, which is more about using your intuition to govern making decisions. She shares a really powerful story, her her life story of how she knew it was time to leave her corporate job and follow her true passion of being a yoga teacher. And I think that intuitive living is inevitable when you start using your intuition for food. So what I mean by that is once you kind of activate that connection with your intuition, it overflows into other parts of your life. And another way to look at this is intuitive living is like cross-training for intuitive eating. The more you practice tapping into that muscle of, of what your body is saying, whether that's for decisions about work, relationships, life life transitions, whatever it is, the more practice you are tapping into your intuition for other things in life, the more natural and reflexive it will be to use your intuition to govern eating decisions. And one other little disclaimer up front, I just want to say that I recognize that following your intuition is a massive privilege. Taking risks is a massive privilege. Erica talks about taking the risk of leaving her stable corporate job for 
her passion and she she mentions how like she didn't have children and and so she was able to be a bit more feel, fearless and i just want to say that i recognize that in many ways following your intuition is absolutely a privilege to be able to to feel like supported enough and to have enough of like a safety net to know that you can do that is a massive privilege so i just want to say that i recognize that and also in myself in in following my intuition and in, in starting this business i i resonate a lot with what um erica says in that there's many reasons why it can be easier for some people to follow their intuition versus other people in different life situations with different identities. Um, so I never just want to sit here and be like ignoring that reality because for us, for many people, there are very real barriers to simply following your intuition. I know you will get so much from this episode. I cannot wait to dive in. Let me introduce Erica and then we will get right into today's episode. Growing up as an athlete, Erica has always felt a strong connection to physical movement. It wasn't until her early 20s that she desired a stronger connection to her emotional self and a deeper sense of fulfillment within that movement. For the past 19 years, she has been a devoted yoga student practicing and studying all over the world, which led her to completing extensive certifications and diving headfirst into her purpose. Erica guides public classes and a private clientele in Manhattan and New Jersey, as well as hosts wellness retreats, both domestically and internationally. She has also taken her passions for fostering community and mindful movement and created a Yoga Alliance certified 200-hour teacher training curriculum where she's led and graduated almost 70 trainees. Erica's classes, workshops, getaways, and trainings are strongly influenced by the emotional and spiritual aspects of the practice. The intention behind all of her offerings is to hold space for her students while they step further into their power, truth, confidence, and emotional intelligence. Yoga has deeply shifted, healed, and transformed Erica's life, and she's eternally grateful to be able to share that magic with every yogi that she is blessed to cross paths with. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I'm so excited to be here, Leah. Thank you. It's also exciting for me because I feel like I know you in a way of just like pretty much attending your class every week for a year, but I don't really know like your full story, only like the tidbits you'd share from like, you know, your newsletter in the beginning of class. So I'm really excited to start with the question of what is your experience um, taking this leap of faith, leaving, we're just jumping right in. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Leaving the corporate world to follow your passion. I think you said after 14 years, yeah. can you share with us this story of, um, you know, how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So it's, it's really like to this day. So it's, it's, I just had my four year anniversary in December and to this day, it's still, I've been doing so much reflection on it because my life is literally is so different than where it was. So for 14 years, I was in corporate. I actually, within the 14 years, was at three different firms. Two were really big firms in New York. The other one was also in New York, but a little bit smaller. And, you know, I, I want to preface this by saying, like, there's so much about corporate America that I will forever be grateful for. I was blessed to work with some I mean, masterminds in their industry. And I did learn a lot about business, you know, as a fellow New Yorker, it, there's, I worked with really tough personalities. And I think that just forced me when you're in that industry and working at these big firms and working for people that just, 
you don't you don't have a choice but to always be on your A game. And I think there were just so many monumental things that I learned from being in corporate America for 14 years. So I will forever be grateful for that. But there was there were moments in that time when my yoga journey was starting where I feel like there was just always this part of my spirit that was like always entrepreneurial and there was a there were like pivotal moments in my career before I took the leap of faith where I just knew I wasn't living my truth if I stayed in corporate for the financial security which is what a lot of people are doing right because it's so comfortable and so I'll never forget it was um and so what, what actually what happened was I was juggling both careers for six years. And until I got to the place where I really felt comfortable taking that leap, and there were, I mean, so many fears within me, so many fears around me, family, friends, people were just kind of just worried. I, but I had that moment where it was like, this was starting what I was doing as a yoga teacher and what I was hoping to offer and the intentions, the offerings that I wanted to build and, and put out into the world. That whole side of me was starting to get directly contradicted by what corporate America was doing, I think, to my spirit, to my soul. I loved, you know, I loved being challenged intellectually in corporate America. But then the deeper that I got into my yoga practice, the deeper that I got into my yoga teachings, what I really was missing from the equation in corporate was that emotional intelligence that I know we kind of talk a lot about in, in yoga. And that was a piece that I know was so instrumental for me during my process, during my journeys, during some really tough, tough chapters of life for me. And I knew that emotional intelligence was something that I really wanted to share and to in order for me to do it wholeheartedly and a, a thousand percent of my attention and intention and passion and love, I knew my days in corporate America had to be numbered. So I juggled both careers for six years and then finally took the leap of faith four years ago. What were the earliest signs for you of like something isn't right? This, this, cause you said like you could tell that it didn't feel like your truth, but like my, I always get so curious, like how did that, how did that make itself known? Great question. So for, I want to first share this because this was something so wild to me. I just actually shared this in teacher training last night, even though it's been four years since I made the jump, you know, you never know when, and this was actually, this goes into our conversation later about intuition and how meditation is so, you know, works so so well hand in hand with fostering our the power of our intuition and just the other day i had this aha moment where this light bulb went off i don't even know it just dawned to me i don't know how i never put these two together that when i was in the legal industry had i at one point of that career i did want to go to law school and then life kind of happened and that's a whole other story but I did I did want to go to law school at one point. Had I ended up going, I would have only wanted to work as an assistant district attorney. And what I what just kind of popped up into my mind the other day was even all those years ago, 15 plus years ago, 
that was my my passion, my desire had to, was to be an ADA for the pure purpose of seeking justice, right? And now fast forward all these years later, it's so funny how it just dawned on me the parallel, even though these two industri- industries, legal and yoga, feel like complete opposite sides of the spectrum, which they are, the parallel that just was presented to me the other day, the parallel or the common denominator that is fascinating to me now that I reflect on it is I, I was wanting to seek justice in the legal industry. And now as a yoga educator, what I seek in myself, what I help others and encourage others to seek is truth. Mm-hmm. And essentially, right, justice and truth are the same thing. So I know it's, it's funny how these things just kind of pop up out of nowhere. And that was a really wild realization to me that there was this common denominator actually between both careers of mine, even though they were so different. But there were there were these moments before I took the leap where it were these like undeniable nudges. And I'm sure we'll get into this in our conversation when it also comes to spirituality, which as you know is a huge part of how I teach. Just in general, I think, and I'm a huge believer that when the universe wants to communicate something to us, the signs keep getting louder. They keep getting, you know, more consistent. And there was just this undeniable nudge and guidance. I joke around my grandmother, Mary, who I was very close with. She passed when I was young, but we were very close when I was a kid. And she's she's made her presence known for so many years in the most beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Whether I, I have a friend who's a medium and I've always communicated with her through that aspect. Um and she would come, she would come to me through my meditations. And I just I would, it was like repeat in my mind. I would hear her say, like, do it, do it. Now's the time. Take the jump, take the leap. We all have the availability to connect to our angels, to connect to our guides, whether it was my grandmother Mary, whether it was nudges, signs, it was just undeniable. And at that mm-hmm. point in my life, you know, I think I also was. I didn't, I don't have children yet. I think it was also, I, I was only care worrying about myself. So I was able to be more fearless. I was able to be more of a risk taker because I didn't have, you know, maybe little ones to worry about so much. I, I just think it all kind of came together at the right moment. I have chills thinking about your grandmother and, and I think intuition can be different for everyone, but it sounds like for you, angels or guides is is like a part of how that message becomes known. What do you say to people who are like, this is woo-woo? Like, what do you mean? Angels, <laughs> guides? Because I'm sure you have like people coming off the streets of your yoga classes and you take it to the spiritual place and they're skeptical. Very, very. And it's like, it's, it's really such an honest question. And, you know, there, there's so many things that to this day, I still am like, fascinated by like people stop me on the street sometimes and they're like I'm just drawn to you like and and that this these conversations just like happen out of nowhere and you know there's one thing I want to touch on later I want to share that one of in one of your questions we'll get into but you know I just think initially some of this some of this work was a little scary to me and I didn't 
completely tap into what this could be until the last few years. And there are many people that think this is woo-woo and are skeptical. And I completely respect that. I honestly, you know, have family members who I think um, my dad would probably, he'll love that I share this story. You know, so I have a friend who is a medium and we did a family reading about uh, probably five years ago. It was at my sister's apartment in Weehawken. And my father, who's like one of my favorite people on earth, but he was definitely a skeptic and he was very humbled by this experience and was brought to tears in the reading. And there was, there were a bunch of us there because that grandmother, my grandmother, Mary, Mary, it's his mother. And it's just like, I'm so deeply passionate about this because I understand if people are skeptical, but I think if you just give yourself a chance to believe in this, the power, like I've made some major, this was leaving corporate was the biggest decision and the scariest decision out of anything I've ever done in my life. But I think if people that are skeptical, just try to be a little bit more open-minded and just try to see the bigger picture. I mean, I think it's comforting for anyone to know, right? That there are, we all have these, I call it like our cosmic squads guiding us and protecting us. And I think just staying open-minded and just giving it a chance to see what could come of it. And I've had endless, countless students share with me, um, their experiences after we kind of got into these conversations or I've done mentorships with them. And a lot of this comes up in teacher training or on retreats. And I think if you're just open-minded to it, the power that each of us could potentially have to communicate with angels and guides to harness those universal connections. Cause for me, the word intuition is very much directly related to divine guidance. Like I'm very comfortable, as you know, in my classes, Leah, like I always use the word God because that's what's comfortable for me, but I never, ever push that word on anyone that's not comfortable. So I always say whatever you're comfortable calling it, you know, the universe, God, source, spirit. But I do think the first step is just, just getting curious Mm -hmm. and just being open to it because how we communicate, how we harness that to me is just so deeply intertwined our intuition and that divine guidance and protection. And a lot of that conversation is coming from our angels, right? Yeah. 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 I love your take on this. Before we go further, just looking back at your story, I'm curious if there was a single moment where you were like, this is it. Cause you said you were having all these little nudges and they were getting more consistent and what then was the moment that kind of just like moved the needle for you enough to take action and change something? Yeah. You know, what was funny is I actually had this internal deadline and I kept pushing it up and that's how I knew. So, and I will say, I think this is really important also for, you know, any of our community that's going to see this because I think it's really important. I know, I know, you know, you know, laying the groundwork and the foundation. I am very grateful that I had the insight to make sure 
Because I would have, of course, loved to make the jump sooner, but I knew the repercussions as a single woman living in Manhattan. I had to be really, really smart and really, really strategic about what I was doing. I made sure all my finances were in order. Like I did not leave that comfortable salary and those benefits until I knew, like I had zero debt. I paid off all my student loans. I paid off all my credit cards. I had to be really smart. But after that was done, so that, you know, one, one side, the other side was laying down the groundwork. So the six years or so that I juggled the two careers, that was because I needed to make sure that I had like a solid clientele in Manhattan and New Jersey. And, you know, building relationships is everything to me. And I'm so grateful. I, I mean, it's, you see like in the class, everyone is like family to me, whether you, I'm blessed to share a public class with you, or I'm blessed to have you as a weekly private client. And I had to make sure all that foundation was really properly laid. Once that was done, I just, I, the internal deadline that I gave myself, I kept pushing up because I just, there was a point where it was just crushing my soul because I wasn't honoring. I knew I was given this purpose and I knew I was given a gift to help other people because I know what yoga and meditation has done for me. It literally has transformed and healed and shifted every single aspect of my life professionally and personally. And I knew if I did not share that, I would be just wasting such a gift that I, mm -hmm. I'm so grateful every day that I was given. And it's such, it's such an honor. It's such a privilege. It's such a responsibility that I will never, ever um, take for granted. Yeah. But I will say a, a quick story that um, that I always smile about now, you know, those days that you never, ever forget. Of course. <laughs> so my day was December 7th, 2018. And anyone who's ever worked in corporate America, especially in New York city, because everything is so intense here. Everything is so cutthroat. Anyone who's worked, especially in New York in corporate knows you do not show emotion in the workplace, right? No matter how stressed, overwhelmed, overworked, upset you are. And I mean, we used to pull when we were prepping for trials. We used to pull all-nighters. I mean, it's crazy how different my lifestyle was. <laughs> yeah, your your yeah. physical health and mental health means nothing to them. Yeah. So, so different. And, you know, I think about there were many times where I wanted to cry or, but I, I made sure to go in my office by myself, close the door. But I'm sharing this because out of the 14 years, I never showed emotion because you just don't do that. And you especially don't do that as a female in corporate mm -hmm. America. And the one time out of the 14 years that I showed emotion and I cried was the day that I gave notice. Mm. And I'll never forget. I have to give a shout out to Allison Schoenthal. I'm going to have to share this podcast with her. She was the partner um, at the last firm that I worked at that I worked directly with. And I was really close with her. We had a relationship outside of the office. She knew me on a personal level. And I will never forget this moment because it was just such a pivotal moment, I think for me, and also the scariest moment probably in my life to date. It was December 7th, 2018. I go into her office and I'm about to give my two weeks notice. And she knew, she knew my path. She kind of knew, I think, what was brewing behind the scenes for a while. And eventually this time would come. Mm -hmm. But when I went in to give notice, 
she looked at me, and this is a woman that I really respected as a partner in a big firm, as a businesswoman. She looked at me and she said, you know, it's a bold move. And I started crying and I said, I know. And in my gut, in my intuition, I knew it was the right thing, but I was scared out of my mind because mm. like when she said that it's a bold move, I knew in that moment, like, this is real. I know what I'm walking away from. I know the stability, the security of what I'm leaving behind right now. And it was the scariest thing of my life, but also the best decision yeah. of my life. I think that story really highlights that following your intuition doesn't always mean that it feels good or easy. Like it can feel really hard and scary, but that it can still feel right. Well said. So perfectly said. Okay. Another question I didn't plan on asking you, but thinking about this moment where you're at this crossroads of leaving a corporate job that is like conventionally successful and like really admired i think especially legal it's not just corporate like it's like a profession that is upheld to a certain status and going to pursue become an entrepreneur for doing business with yoga how do you reconcile the judgment of others in this moment that's an amazing question um and it's funny because my family is as i'm so close to them and so grateful for them I was the, I was kind of the wild card of my family. Are you the youngest? <laughs> I'm the oldest, but yeah. no one, everyone always had more traditional careers. And so whether it was like the fears that were coming from my family, and I know of course, as our, our parents, that's their job to worry and, and to be concerned. But the, in terms of recon, reconciling, you know, it's such a, it's such a great question. I've actually never been asked that. I think even my friends and the people around me, again, came from more of traditional backgrounds. So there were just a lot of fears that were being projected onto me. And it was amplified because I was a single woman and I lived in one of the most expensive cities in the world. So everything was just completely amplified. I think I had to get really clear, Leah, on tuning out the noise around me. And that's where my yoga and meditation practice and breath practices really came into play because I knew people were like passing judgment. I knew people were like, oh, she's crazy. You know, um, she's never going to hack it. She's never going to survive this. You're crazy for trying to monetize your passions in New York. I knew even if they weren't being said to me, I'm obviously very sensitive to energy as an empath. I knew I knew the judgments that were maybe being, you know, put on me, but I'm very grateful that I've always had a very strong, like self-esteem. And I I knew I had to tune that out. Like I knew what mattered and I knew that I had to stay true to my heart and my truth. And I knew the greater story. I I feel like in very similar in your industry and in the beautiful things that you offer, anyone who is in a service and relationship driven industry where you are truly and genuinely holding space for other people and supporting other people, the universe wants to support you in those efforts because you're sharing the gifts that you were given to really help other people. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And I knew the people around me that were maybe projecting their fears onto me. I knew maybe they had a very different mindset in that realm. 
And, and I respected that they were worried about me and I was grateful that they were worried about me, but I had to really stay true to what I knew for myself. I, I, I know I see it on a daily basis, what yoga does for me, what it does for other people, yeah. um, what my offerings have helped other people with. And I just had to really have this, honestly, it was like tunnel vision. I had to tune out that noise so much and just yeah. stay true to my heart. Yeah, I think so much about how being judged is hard, but not living your truth, in my view, is harder. Like being judged is is hard and you can be judged and still move forward, but not living your truth like eats away at you every day. I, I so and I think and I'm sure this will probably come up later in conversation, but and I think you do this beautifully as well. When you are someone who's this is in the same kind of realm of this conversation, when you are someone who's very active on social media, like we are, yeah, and, and create content, we know firsthand we're we're sharing from a really vulnerable, raw place. I know you know too, like. There's always people behind the screen judging us. Totally. Yeah. But like you just said, we have to stay true to who we are and the the authenticity of what we're offering. Yeah. And something that a, a mentor shared with me really early on that has been so transformational for me is always connecting back to this isn't about you. Like this literally isn't about you. This is about the person who needs to see this or hear these words. And I love what you said so much about how like when you have you read The Alchemist? Yeah. Oh my God. It's excellent. excellent. There's a quote in the alchemist. It's like, when you like follow your truth, like the entire universe conspires for you. And I'm thinking about that when you said that, like when, yeah, like following your passion is risky. And I believe exactly what you're saying, which is that like, when you're sharing your gifts with the world and you're in, in your truth, like the universe conspires for you because you are living out like your highest purpose, which is sharing your gift with the world. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I love, love that. that. I love that you share that. It's such a great quote from the book too. I I, I didn't say it totally right, but it's something about no, yeah, I think you actually had a perfect like, for you. No, it's absolutely correct. So you clearly have a very strong connection with your intuition these days and back in, in the days as well of getting the messages that it was time to start thinking about leaving your corporate job. Did you always have a strong connection with your intuition? So I what I've been thinking about is I've always been, even as a kid, I feel like a seeker. I've always been like a deep thinker. I've always kind of been like, I just feel like in some scenarios, I, I've been a little bit different. Like, I don't know. I guess I keep calling that, that word like wild card just keeps coming to my mind. <laughs> She's a wild card. And yeah. wild card. I'll, I'll, I'm going to own it. I'm going to go with it. I think that I've always been a seeker. I've always been a deep thinker. I also, even at a younger age, this started to come into play, I think, like around college, after college. I never really enjoyed like surface level conversations. I always, when I connect with someone, you know, I connect like really deeply. And I think that's also the alpha female in me. Like a lot of alpha females like don't, we're not always in big circles because we want, we we like that, you know, it's quality over quantity. We want that those real deep connections. So all of that to kind of say, I think I've always had this, I think I've always been connected to my intuition, but honestly, I don't think I was really utilizing it in the right way. And something that I was reflecting on recently is I I wasn't grasping 
because this has been honestly, it, it's it was it was a struggle for me to be totally honest. Being an empath in some ways and being really sensitive to energy has served me really well professionally because I feel like I can really support students and clients that way. And it's such a blessing. But personally, to be honest, being an empath and being sensitive and being super, super compassionate can hurt me. And also like that's that's like the Capricorn in me that's like fiercely loyal. That's like the lover in me, I think as an Italian. It's just, there's, it's really a hard thing to be very sensitive energetically as an empath, it's a hard thing to navigate. So I didn't, I made a lot of mistakes. I I struggled a lot with this when I was in the growing pains of like harnessing this tool or finessing this tool. I have a really, um, a story that I'll never forget. I was teaching in New Jersey, my very first studio that I taught at, it was a heated vinyasa studio and the heating system was on the left side of the room. And I remember I was in the center of the room. So I was nowhere near the heating system. And it was earlier on in my career. And at one point in the middle of class, I grabbed my forearm. It was like there was literally someone had a flame under my forearm. And it was it it was jarring. And it really like caught me off guard. But I was leading a room. It was a full class. I had to stay present and just pretend like it wasn't happening, whatever this weird sensation was. And what I learned later from my teachers and was that that so sometimes spirit communicates like that whether it's like a really warm sensation or a really cold sensation so I wanted to just share that story because before that I didn't really I wasn't as receptive to like things like that that were starting to happen more frequently when I when I am teaching sometimes this happens a lot on retreat is I I see things, I hear things, I feel things like that example with the heat. And, but earlier on, I think it scared me, honestly. And I didn't, I really wasn't tapping into it. I was kind of, I was kind of choosing to ignore it because I felt like my responsibility was as a teacher was exponentially growing. If I honored those signs, does that make sense? Like for example, when I'm on retreat, sometimes I'll get, this might sound totally woo woo, but Sometimes when I'm on retreat and if I'm like deep in, in a Dharma talk or we're deep in a meditation, I'll get this like high pitched frequency in my ear. And it just is to me, the way that I interpret it is it's kind of like an alert. And then that's when the universe, because I feel like my responsibility in my job a lot of the time is I'm a conduit. I'm a conduit between my students and between what the universe wants me to share. Because a lot of times things that come out of my mouth are not prepared. They're totally like, okay, this is God. This is the universe guiding me to share something that someone in class that day needs to hear. Or there's no, there's never coincidence. If you are someone who's struggling with something and maybe that day you are planted in my class in New York or New Jersey, and then spirit guides me to share something that I didn't have planned because someone needs to hear that. And it's, it's a responsibility that I will never ever take for granted, or I will never ever take lightly. But because of that, to go back to your your initial question, I think it was always there. I just was scared to really tap into the intuition earlier on. Now I embrace it because I know it's allowing my teaching to, to go to a different level of where it needs to go. What helped you embrace it more? Okay. So I think, and as you know, as a 
A plus yoga student. Breath work, huge. Meditation, huge. Yoga, huge. Like those, when we're on our mat, I think finding stillness, getting quiet, utilizing, truly utilizing these tools on a consistent basis allowed me to feel comfortable embracing it. I think there were moments when, whether I was on my mat, and you've probably heard me share this in classic, I always use the term moving meditation or prayer in motion. It was moments on my mat, or maybe it was, it was like a seated meditation sometimes that I just felt this wave wash over me like Erica it's okay to embrace this it's okay to take this to the next level don't be scared you're being guided to take your offerings to the next level and even if it was uncomfortable or whether it was things that I would see feel or hear during class I knew it was only to support the group that I was with and Mm -hmm. nothing bad could come out of that right so I think I just found solace in because the way that I interpret sometimes and is that moving meditation, that prayer in motion, how we communicate, like I, like I shared earlier, because intuition to me is, is, is basically divine guidance as well. To me, my yoga practice is so sacred. A lot of my practice more these days is, is just my home practice by myself. And that's how I, Essentially, I think we all have this avail- this opportunity to use our body as a vessel. So when I move my body, and to be honest, my body, my practice over the years has gotten a lot slower. Mm-hmm. Um, I just turned 39. My practice at 39 is much different than my practice was at 20 and 22. I was deeply humbled when I was in India in October, and my body was literally breaking down after 10 hours of training a day. So I think we all have this amazing opportunity to use our body as a vessel where we communicate whatever the word you're comfortable using with. I use it, my body as a vessel to communicate with God. Mm -hmm. However, whatever word you're comfortable with, I think we all have that power. And it was in those moments where I just, you know, going back to your question, allowed myself to embrace, okay. It's time to go to the next level. Stop being scared. Start breathing into the faith and releasing the fear. Yeah. I love the concept of the body of the body as a vessel to communicate with the universe, God, higher power. And it's so counterculture because especially as women, the message that we get is like your body is an ornament to parade around and for like other people to look at. And your entire worth comes from the way that you look. But divesting from that. And shifting into my body is a vessel to share my gifts with the world and like, you know, to communicate with higher power, to connect, to do whatever, to exchange energy is such a radical shift because it takes off this like linking worth with appearance. I, I, I absolutely love that you shared that and I couldn't agree more. And that's, I always say like yoga is not one size fits all. Meditation is not one size fits all. This, our bodies are just so gorgeous and so beautiful at any shape, at any size, any practice level. You know, all of my classes are always mixed level, but but always open to, um, I mean, in any given day. And I think 
I talk about this a lot in teacher training. On any given day, I think a really strong seasoned yoga teacher should be able to teach to whether you have a beginner in class or you have a practitioner that's, you know, a practitioner of 30, 40 years. And that comes back to supporting all body types, supporting all energies. And like you just flawlessly said, reading the body and viewing the body in a very different way than maybe um, it's viewed, I guess, in society or culture. Yeah. I always love how you start class by saying like, if all you do is breathe that you've done enough because it takes away this like elitist energy that I've experienced in your classes before where like the teacher is practically in the front, like showing off and you're like, cool. And now I just feel bad about myself because you're doing like acrobatics and yeah, I'm and like, I, struggling to keep up. And Leah, I love that you brought this up because, you know, this is a conversation I'm, I'm so incredibly passionate about, passionate about because I've been a practitioner in New York for almost 20 years. I've dropped into every studio in the city. I've practiced all over the world with so many teachers and there's nothing that upsets me more. And I love that you use the word elitist because unfortunately it does happen more than it should. And as you see the way that I teach, the way that I train um, every beautiful student that I'm so blessed to share teacher training with, I am a huge advocate for teachers needing to read the energy in the room properly. And like you said before, it's never about us. We're holding space for other people. You will never, ever see me on my mat, right? No, and I actually really like that because you use your words to explain what to do. But like, I literally walked out of a yoga class in Brooklyn because the woman was like doing, being so extra in the front. And I'm like, you just, I just feel bad that I can't do things and I, that I don't like, you know, you start comparing like the way that they look and it's just a show. Like, it, I don't know. I like, a, feel so this passionate. Is such, this is honestly, I know, I, I know this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I'm, this is such a powerful conversation, I think for both of our communities to hear, because I, I have a very strong opinion about this. And this actually comes up a lot in teacher training as well. You know, that kind of stuff upsets me to no end because that is a teacher that is operating from the ego. And that's so not what this is about. This is not a time to showcase your or perform or showcase your, because that is not a safe space at all. No. And yeah. I just, I literally just was sharing this, like I think a week or two ago in training that how crucial it is and the responsibility of a successful teacher that you need to make sure every single person leaves your class feeling empowered, successful, supported, because like you share with that story in Brooklyn, you will never go back to that teacher's class ever again. And it's so important that I stress this in my training because it is our responsibility to make sure everyone feels seen and supported and safe. It is my job, whether there are it, however many people there are in there, it's my job to make sure that no one gets hurt physically, right. but so much more than that, that like everyone is leaving emotionally and mentally feeling confident and feeling that self-love. So when I hear stories like that, it honestly makes me irate because that should never, ever be happening in the yoga yeah. 
And in any industry, we have this. Like, I hear stories about other dietitians, like, fucking, sorry, shaming people. I'm saying sorry on my own podcast. Like, I curse <laughs> on this podcast. I'm surprised I have not cursed yet. <laughs> no, you can curse. Like, shaming people, other dietitians, like, shaming people, being the food police, and, like, doing things that, like, I would never agree with. And then it it, fe- it feels like it gives the profession, like, a bad name. But, of course, like, anything, therapists, yoga teachers, dietitians, whatever it is, there's a spectrum. There's people who you're going to be aligned with and people who you're not. And when I think about that class, like like you use the word safe space, the funniest thing to me is that like the language that they're using is like, this is a safe space, but then they're not embodying those words. I don't feel safe when you're showing off and you're making me feel like I'm not like doing enough. Like there's a difference between saying things and creating a, an environment that feels safe. I love that you, you were, I love, love, love that you use the word embodiment. And this is one of my biggest pet peeves that I think is very much aligned with what you just shared. I'm sure you see this in your industry as well. There's a very fine line and a very big difference for yoga teachers of, of being a yogi on the mat or a teacher and actually living your practice off the mat. It's a very, very different distinction. And it's really upsetting to me and really disheartening when I see teachers all over that are sitting at the the, the front of the room preaching all these things about spirituality and quoting all these ancient texts. And then you see them like in the wild and doing really egregious, unethical things. And I'm like, how are you guiding? How are you responsible for guiding other people? This mm-hmm. to me is highly irresponsible and highly unethical. Yeah. There's a very big difference between practicing yoga and living yoga. The word that comes to mind for me is performative or it's just like, you know, me and my, look at my cute outfit and all my things, but it's not like you, 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 it, the word you used before of like the difference of it being from a place of ego or not, I think is such an important distinction. And I think about my own field so many dietitians, especially in prior practice, use social media. And I sometimes encounter these dietitians. And I don't say this to drag anyone, but I think it's really relevant in this conversation. And it's like putting words to something that I hadn't had words for before, where they're on stories and like loving just like looking at themselves and like just like it's like all about them. And it's not about the message. It's not about supporting their community. And it's just a feeling. I can't explain it anything more than like it's just a feeling of like the intention is not like pure, which I don't judge some people are grappling with that. And maybe they'll get to that place, but it definitely, like you're saying, I think really hinders the transformation of the people in the community. I mean, I couldn't, I, 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 I see this every day, Leah, and it just, it just breaks my heart because, you know, this, and then this can turn into like a whole, a whole other social media conversation, but, you know, I, there's a very big difference too between, you know, we all know there are a lot of people on social media that are showcasing lifestyles that they're not actually living. Right. And there's a very big difference between lives that, and I say this a lot, there's a very big difference between lives that look good and feel good. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, is a, is a big thing. And I, I, you know, going back to what you just shared, it's, and they do have to kind of, you know, maybe they're navigating their own growing pains and they're not, maybe their intentions are not pure, but I do think, 
And I, I found a lot of solace in this, and I hope this might be helpful for anyone that listens to this, is because people like us that are really putting, that are really working so hard to put quality content out there. Like I know Leah, a lot of my posts, and I'm sure you, you know, yours as well. Like a lot of thought goes into it. A lot of intention goes into it. A lot of my posts are like two to three paragraphs. I know that not everyone is reading the complete thing, but it has always been really important and really important for me from the jump of my career to deliver quality content. My newsletters, like I'm working on one right now that I'm going to share this week. My newsletters take weeks sometimes because I really want to make sure that it's quality information that I'm putting out there. So kind of to circle back what you shared, I do think for those of us that are working really hard to make sure we are really supporting our communities, that is always going to show. Does that make sense? Like people people feel that it. are operating from a place of ego who are just like sharing maybe silly stuff like that if their if their intentions are not pure and their offerings are not genuine, people are gonna feel that. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was younger, I was worried about that. But one, no one is you, no one's gonna ever do it like you. Mm-hmm. And I just think people authenticity always wins and people can feel, you know, so true. and I know you're you're very into this too, like when you're really doing this work, like you can, you can, you can feel a phony from a mile away. And mm-hmm. that's always going to be exposed to so the people that are really truly in these industries for the right reasons, you know, not to get Lululemon swag. It's not about the mm-hmm. damn Instagram followers. It's not about the stupid promotions and, you know, these ad, collaborating for ads, ads or whatever. The people that are genuinely in at the top of their game in their industry for the right reasons, genuinely want to support and hold space for other people. That is never that is never going to go unnoticed. Yeah, your clients, that. your communities are always going to feel that authenticity. It's so true, and it it is just like an energy that you feel. Have you heard of this show, Crazy My Crazy Ex Girlfriend? I have heard. You have to have to tell me more. To be honest. I'm I'm a little bit of a freak in this way. I like never watch TV. Me either. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge movie buff. Huge yeah. movie buff, but I don't really know anything that's currently on TV. So yeah. So okay. The only reason I bring it up, I also don't really watch TV. I was at a friend's house and she's like, you have to like watch this. It's a show where they like break out into song and dance. And that they, they there's this one scene where like this girl and she's like, she's like in a t-shirt and shorts, and like everyone else in the class is in like, you know matching sets and it's kind of showing that like she's like an outsider in a way trying to experience yoga for like the first time and then the the teacher is one of these like kinds of people who we're talking about who it's like a big you know show off and it's like from a place of ego and not embodiment and there's like a funny song I'll have to send you and like the chorus is like I'm so good at yoga like look at me look at me I'm so good at yoga you'll die it's so funny I'm just saying it right now so I remember to send you (laughs) and send me that and you know that's why like it's Oh my God. I, I mean, I have so many things I could share and go on so many tangents with this, but that sounds um, hysterical. And like you said, okay. definitely is the complete opposite of what this practice practice. And I say this often. It's like, 
Yes. Does yoga give you, if you're consistent, does yoga give you a strong body? Does yoga lengthen your muscles? Absolutely. But it's never about the external. It's never, yes, of course, we know the health benefits of the physical aspect. But for me and and what, what I aspire in my offerings, it's never about the external. It's never about the shapes that we create with our bodies. It's what's happening in those shapes, the transformation, the healing that happens in the shapes. That's what is so deeply transformative about this practice and not always found in other movement practices. Like I have so much love and respect for many movement practices, but there is, I do feel like yoga is a different freedom because it is, it's that union of mind and body. It's that union of body and breath. It, but then it's the spiritual component too. And again, going back to what we said before, when you add all of those factors, there really should be five that are always offered, emotional, energetic, mental, spiritual, and physical. If you really, if you can find a teacher that offers all five of those, like the whole spectrum, you can really do what we spoke about before. You can really have that your body is that vessel where you communicate with Mm. with source and and deeply sharpen your intuition yeah yeah so to really lay out crystal clear here how can yoga enhance your connection with intuition okay so i i'm a huge uh believer that there's so much as you know as a practitioner there's so much that happens on our yoga mat whether it is the moments of stillness, the moments of reflection, whether it is for you while you are in motion, right? The fluidity of the breath movement, breath movement, and how powerful that could be. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind that I also think it's funny because when my personal life in my 20s was going through some major, major upheavals and my personal life was imploding and that's a whole other story, but I was, I lacked to be honest, like, and I, I share this a lot with like the young women that I mentor now, like whether in trainings or stuff, I lacked self-awareness in my twenties. And even though I was practicing yoga, it was a different, it was a different iteration of my yoga practice and my mindfulness practices. And I was really lacking that self-awareness. I was really lacking that embodiment, like you mentioned before. And I think with time, with age, right? With confidence, with internal power, with the ability to properly discern between things. I think with the self-awareness and the consistency to our yoga practices or yoga, breath, movement, meditation, that's when I was really able to start fostering how I communicate with myself and getting to that place where the self-awareness within the quiet was helping to solidify my intuition. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The way it sounds like the number one way from what you're sharing that yoga can foster a deeper connection with intuition is just by creating space to actually get quiet enough to hear what your body's saying. Exactly. And the two biggest things I think to kind of maybe clarify what I just shared is first, I think the crucial components for someone that is interested in getting deeper into that self-awareness, into how they communicate with their intuition, how they communicate with source. The first step in my eyes that I think I might've also made this mistake earlier on as a, a young yogi in New York 
I believe the first step is actually cleansing. The second step is meditation and movement. So when I say cleansing, that to me is in order to cleanse that vessel, because especially if you're newer to these practices, um, right, our, our energy centers, our chakras, I think I'm a huge advocate for, of course, anything holistic health related, but in terms of cleansing our vessel, cleansing our conduit, our temples, however you refer to your body, that I think is the first step to remove blockages. And first, I'm a huge advocate for Reiki, um, huge advocate for acupuncture, massage, cupping, Anything that is going to stir up energy, shift energy, heal, release, awaken, activate, I truly think, because I've seen it now in my practices later on, um, how crucial that is. I just had a cupping session a couple of days ago, and every time I, I was, I was doing it pretty religiously, like monthly before the pandemic, and, and yes, I was doing it for physical reasons, but energetically it's huge and I think that because I felt this tremendous like flood of creativity over the weekend that happened directly after my cupping session which I think was Friday and so I think the first step is really cleansing that vessel but what I what I've been sharing a lot in conversations with friends and with students of friends that I think might be struggling with this of connecting to their intuition mm-hmm. or that inner that innate guidance is not just being aware of cleansing ourselves internally, but cleansing externally. Mm-hmm. So I have friends, and I know I've made this mistake in my early 20s too. I have a lot of friends who I think are navigating this right now that are really consistent with a beautiful yoga practice several days a week, that are consistent about working with Reiki practitioners, you know, holistic health modalities. But there's a very, what happens is you can be so wonderful with all of those things and cleansing, right? All of your, all cleansing internally. But then if you go home and you are surrounding yourself with toxic partners and toxic friends and toxic colleagues, that to me is negating, majorly negating all the work that you're doing internally. So I think the cleansing aspect first is crucial internally and externally. And then once, because I think that also takes a toll on our inner guidance, our mindset. Also, if you're around people that are super negative and and just toxic energetically, that's affecting our frequency, right? Because people can project their energy, their judgments, their insecurities, their limited beliefs onto you. And I have a lot of friends that I think are struggling with that right now because they are so solid from their practices, but then they're in these circles of people that are highly so hard. And sometimes it's not just a friend you can get out of your life. It's like a family member or something and boundaries and all that. But I think this brings up such a good point. Like the first step to really deepening your connection with your intuition is looking at what, what what am I working with? What am I surrounding myself with? Like what is, is impacting my energetic state day to day. And I think, uh, you know, and this, this is a probably a whole other, this could be a whole other podcast too, but I'm very passionate about this too, because I love, love helping others and, and helping uh, empowering others. I think this plays into the conversation, having to create those healthy boundaries, 
I think so many people struggle with, and it really breaks my heart with wanting to be liked and wanting to be, I, I actually have never read the book, but I know the title. And I always think about this title, The Courage to Be Disliked. Mm-hmm. I've heard that book. Yeah. Whether whether it's that, whether it's putting healthy boundaries, whether it is really loving yourself enough to walk away from, and you know, listen, we, I've had some more challenging moments recently with family members that also like we, we all have people in our life, right? Whether it's friends or family. And I think you get to a point in your yoga practice, you get to your a point in a certain age of your life and your self-love practice and your respect for yourself and your boundaries practice where you're just not willing to tolerate certain mm-hmm. behavior anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, like totally a whole other conversation about boundaries, but I think that that is an important part of the conversation about intuition of just looking at like, yeah, if you have people chirping in your ear all the time, limiting beliefs and stuff, it's going to be hard for you to hear what your body's saying because you're going to be having to sift through other people's things that they're projecting onto you to get to hear that intuition, which is often quiet. And I think if you're someone who is not, you know, I think there's, it's so funny, Leah, because what I do for a living, I obviously am in the public, right. And serving the public. And I, I have a big personality. I am very like loving and affectionate. And, but when I'm, when when I'm actually not doing my job, people might not know this about me, but I'm actually like very much a loner in my personal life, but that's how I need to connect. So I need to get quiet. I need to be alone to connect to that. And my most creative moments, my clearest moments with my intuition Mm -hmm. are when I'm alone. It's very hard. And I really want to encourage anyone who's listening to this. If you're someone who is constantly around people, give yourself the gift, give yourself the grace to be by yourself. There's a John, Le- uh, you know, I'm a, mu- a huge music junkie. There's a John Mayer lyric that I posted a while ago. It says, um, don't be afraid to walk alone. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to like it. And I think if you're someone if who's really trying to connect to that voice, go deeper in your spirituality, go deeper in your connection to the universe, you have to get quiet. You have to tune out the noise. You have to be so, so mindful about the company that you keep because that could be really detrimental on how deeply you go in your practices and whether you stay stuck or whether you are catapulted forward in where you're meant to be. Yeah. I was not planning on asking you this, but as you kept using the word cleanse, you know, my, my arena is food and, you know, full transparency, I had a bit of a fear. I was, I'm like, oh my God, is she going to say cleanse your body? Like, you know, (laughs) don't, you know, don't eat any of like certain things. And I'm like, oh no, like never. So I'm really curious. You're in this like wellness space ultimately, do people try to ask you for advice on food? Um, I love this question because I I love and respect so much of what you do. And I think there's such a tremendous, tremendous need for it. And as you know, our clientele are probably, there's so many parallels, so many similarities. So to be honest, um, not, 
I, I do think the conversation, like for example, when I'm on retreat, especially our extended retreats, the groups get so close. We talk about everything and anything. Do I, I'm very, I'm very honest if someone asks, asks me. So I am a vegetarian slash pescatarian, but I mean, I support anyone, anyone's lifestyles, like whatever you need to eat. To I, I have like, do your thing, whatever. And my story is kind of funny. And this is a, just a small story. I was a huge meat eater, to be honest. Like I used to go to steakhouses in New York <laughs> all the time. I would order my steaks rare. And then I went to India for the first time, I think six years ago now, and I was forced to eat vegetarian for two weeks straight. And I just felt really different, to be honest. Like just for my personal, for my body, I just felt different. And I actually got back from that trip and just, it was yeah. really bizarre. I just stopped eating meat. But I I support anything anyone wants to do that fits for their body and their lifestyle. So luckily, I don't think that comes up too much. And if it did, honestly, like I know because what happens, and I'm sure you get this too with your, you know, because you you also build very close relationships where people trust you. I'm also very cognizant because when you grow these relationships, whether it's in the yoga industry, the health, any type of health wellness industry, you know, people trust you and they look at you to be guidance for so many things. I get questions related, you know, people want you to be sometimes like they're a yoga teacher, they're a therapist, they're MD, they're natural. Like it's the list is endless. And I'm deeply honored that people want my opinion on right. deeply honored, but I also know the responsibility that I am not giving out any information that I am not qualified to give. And that does upset me when I see that happen in the industry. If someone is asking me a question that needs to be directed towards a psychologist or needs to be directed towards, you know, something like what you do, like, I always will make sure because it's my responsibility ethically mm -hmm. to make sure I am guiding them to the proper yeah. person in the proper industry. I'm not giving advice that I am not qualified yeah. to give. Staying in your scope. Yeah. I have had that experience too, where like it, you're in this you form a connection. There's mutual vulnerability. You 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 enter this position of power. But I think like I I'm so firmly rooted in like just doing the ethical thing at all times. And I know you are too. And it's like yeah, like sometimes like I would want to try to talk to you about that. And I know that like that's not my zone of genius. I don't know. Like I just don't know. And I always try to like say that when I, I don't know because I think like true like wisdom is really telling someone when either you don't know or you're not qualified to to, to share. And you can, and you know, I always kind of preface it. Like, to be honest, I do, I am very blessed that I have a network of like powerful women in New York, whether, you know, that are in different realms. I have friends that are sex therapists. I have friends that are like, I mean, shamans, Reiki, I mean, everything. Like I just, and I, and I have, of course, share i've i've seen so many amazing journeys and and been blessed to witness so many amazing um paths and decisions and life changes and shifts and whether it's my own personal journey but i'll always preface that i'll say you know if you want my opinion i'm going to sh i'll share from my personal experience but i'm not giving actual right. like guidance right that's right. not in my scope yeah I love that. I love how you navigate that. Okay. One other question that I wasn't planning on asking, but I, no. I okay. I love the spontaneous. <laughs> Keep me on my toes. So I think about 
the the nature of a yoga class and you know usually there's a mirror usually like I don't know I've never been in a situation where I'm maybe in India I'm curious to hear your opinion on that and because I, I also consider myself like a sensitive empathetic like really in tune person which is part of why I'm able to do what I do and I cannot help but notice when I'm in a yoga class and someone is fixated on looking at themselves in the mirror, because I do what I do, I know that like it could be benign, but often it's a sign of a deeper insecurity or something going on. Um, and so I, I don't really know what my question is other than navigating. Okay, this is the question. Do you encounter this and how do you guide people to navigate that like often default setting of harsh internal dialogue of like, when I bend like this, my stomach does this, or I catch a glimpse of myself in this way that I don't like. And that could really take a person out of the practice. How do you navigate someone through this? Or do is this even something like that you like notice? I'm sure. So it's, it, this is a great question. I, so to be honest, my personal opinion is, so it's actually very, if you're at a yoga studio, that's purely just a yoga studio, there should never, the, the exception is um, back in the, I, I, I don't even honestly want to mention the name because the scandal is so egregious, but there was a, a movement style of yoga back in the day that's really become quite antiquated because there was such an awful scandal. In that style of yoga, there was always a mirror in the front of the room. Other than that, a true yoga studio should never, ever have a mirror in the studio. The only time that unfortunately happens is as you know, the well, for example, where I teach in New York, we do have a mirror only because that is a multi-purpose room where we have several different movement practices. So that is kind of a different beast, but oh yeah, nowhere in India are you ever seeing (laughs) a mirror. And it it just, um, and even, and you know, even at the well, like the way that I set the classroom up is of course it's there, but it's on the side of us. I'm no right. one is facing the mirror, right? right? Like you might, you might face the mirror if you're in a bar class or in a Pilates class. But the way that I set up the room for yoga is it's on the left of us, right? right. Not directly in front of us. And this is a tough question to answer, but a great, it's a great question. I think a lot of times, and even where I teach in New Jersey at Flow Yoga, I without a mirror, it. I always, because I know my personal practice, how how helpful it can be and why I offer it often. And I, I do give that invitation a lot to close your eyes when you're practice. So you can really facilitate that moving meditation, that prayer in motion, because even if there's not a mirror, the reality is some students are looking at other students. And that one should never be happening because, and I know it does happen, but that's also the facilitator. That's also my job to make sure that my dialogue includes these words, these carefully chosen words. And I do say this sometimes, like, don't worry about what your neighbor's doing, right? Everyone has a different practice. Everyone is at a different practice level. I always say this too, you know, just because you can do something let's say I offer, you know, three rounds of a back bend. Mm-hmm. just because you can go into wheel at the end of a bridge series doesn't mean you have to. There are many days when I drop into classes in New York and yeah, are there posh, are, is, are there poses in my, in my practice that I could do, but I have zero desire to do them. on yes. certain days? Absolutely. Right. 
Absolutely. And I think to be honest, that is, and I do share this when I need to make sure I'm creating a safe space. I do think a true, and I never even use the word advanced because I don't like that word. I love that. A seasoned practitioner. In my eyes, a real seasoned practitioner is not, a real seasoned practitioner has nothing to do with going upside down, with doing inversions, with doing crazy arm balances or, you know, <laughs> inverting their body like in Cirque du Soleil shape. <laughs> that is or like what was happening in Brooklyn. It sounds like for you, yeah. <laughs> that is not fucking yoga. I'm going to curse. I'm really passionate. That is not yoga. A real seasoned practitioner is someone who knows because yoga also is deconstructing the ego. A real seasoned practitioner knows when to take a child's pose, when to skip a posture, when to take it easy, when to slow it down. Mm. And I think, you know, that, but that's also, so that's the, that's the, the student, but it's the facilitator's job to be offering dialogue that makes the safe space for them mm-hmm. to do that. I have literally been in classes and this is like so egregious to me. I have been in classes where the teachers have literally said, you don't, you, you don't need a block blocks are for beginners. Don't be a softy. And I was like, my blood was boiling. Mm. boiling. I love how you always say like checking with that internal dialogue, because to me, that's like my reminder to be like, because judgment is so knee jerk because of our culture. I'm not doing enough. Like, oh, like someone else held this longer. Like I, and I, I heard this Brene Brown quote once about, about comparison. And the quote is like, we don't actively compare ourselves. It happens to us. Like it's a beyond our control to some extent, because as humans comparing, scanning the environment, which like, yeah, there's other people in the, in the class. Like we scan our environment, compare, see how we stack up from an evolutionary perspective was our way of like survival of like, am I going, am I fit for survival? But now obviously like if we still have that pathway to some extent, it's, it's not serving us. Um, but when you say something like check in with that internal dialogue, that is my reminder of like, am I looking at the girl in front of me and like wondering why she's smaller than me? Even though I do this work for a living, I teach body image intuitive eating. It happens, it, especially when I first started going to yoga and I hadn't been in that environment in a while. It was a lot of like, oh, like I'm this girl's in front of me. I'm like, my eyes are here. You know, I'm I'm like naturally fixated on this. But with enough kind of like awareness and being like, I'm doing that. And it's like, what is this? Like, it doesn't matter. Bodies are different and it literally means nothing. Yeah. And that's such, I'm so, that's such a brave and honest share. And I'm so happy you shared that because I think anyone that's listening to this is going to, that might resonate. I think a lot, especially with young women who struggle oh, yeah. with that comparison. So I'm so happy you shared that. But again, I do think as, as, the person who's leading the classroom, it is our responsibility to, to give those little loving reminders here and there. And because not only is, you know, everyone's body's different, practice is different, intentions are different. Uh, every time we step onto the mat, right, we're, it's a different body. You might be dehydrated. You might be sleep deprived. Totally. You might be on your period, which like, I always feel like faint when I like do a forward fold and I'm like losing blood actively. Like I'm like, I can't. There's so many, like literally every day I roll out my mat sometimes in my apartment. It's like, I literally have, I just need to breathe. I need to sit. I need to be in child's pose for 20 minutes every day. Your practice and your body and your mind 
requires something different. And I think giving yourself the grace, really, truly being compassionate with what you need and how your practice can best support you on that day. If you're able to master that and master those emotions, you truly, truly, in my eyes, are a seasoned practitioner. And you don't you don't need 20 or 30 years of practice behind you to get to that place at all. I love your outlook on this and releasing judgment, asking, because I hear like, so the the little phrase that's coming to my mind is like, what do I need today? Like, that's like really the bravest question. I love yeah. it's, it's And I think, you know, sort of related to this, but also there's been helpful for me, whether it's, and going back sort of to the, the overall intuition aspect of connecting to that voice within this is a question that I used to check in with myself a lot whether it was taking the leap of faith that was really scary and the the fears were like majorly percolating in my body or this conversation maybe while, while you're in a public class is to ask yourself anytime fears doubts insecurities creep in um taking a leap of faith this can be really a blanket statement for so many things I want to share this because it was it's been helpful for me over the years and I would I would check in I would say am I operating from a place of fear or am I operating from a place of love and I think that could majorly transmute energies that don't feel of service and also completely change a dialogue that doesn't feel loving mm-hmm. or positive or productive internally yeah that's a beautiful like grounding question. Is there anything else on your heart that you feel called to share about anything at all or anything that we missed? I got to be honest. I'm re- you did a wonderful job. I actually, I'm looking at some of my notes here. I think we actually hit um, so much. I think the last, I, I really think we hit everything. I think the last thing I can share that I hope might be helpful is kind of to to drive home what we we talked about before, because I am very blessed. You know, I will say the majority of my clientele and is is female, and I really get to see. You know, I'm I'm not just leading public classes. I really have very strong relationships through my retreats, through my teacher trainings. You know, anyone who's graduated my training knows that we are together four and a half to five months I am forever in your corner wherever you might move to in the world like Mm -hmm. I'm forever if you need me always your biggest advocate your biggest cheerleader and I with that I've been blessed to witness so many brave wildly courageous journeys and I do but what I want to share if this is helpful for anyone before we close is I what I see that so many people struggle with especially young women and maybe to kind of tie up where we started to to dive into before is, you know, being way more concerned about loving yourself than other people loving you and getting so clear on, because that's the most significant relationship that we're ever going to have with ourselves. And again, that, that self-love, that self-respect, tuning out the noise, not worrying about what other people think of you. And unfortunately, I know we live in a culture today that, you know, maybe for people like us that really utilize social media for marketing, it's it's a tremendous gift. I'm so grateful. But to be honest, like 
I'm 39 now. I'm really grateful that I social media was not a thing because I watch young women struggle with this. And I, I, it, it like literally kills my heart when young women are, are doing that comparison, you know, on mm-hmm. social media, because there are so many just people out there that are, that are putting out lives that are, they're not living. And I think as someone who's almost 40, who witnesses a lot of stuff, who has so much love for, you know, and so much love and passion to support others is just being really mindful about the energies around you, mm-hmm. what you're viewing on a daily basis, creating healthy boundaries, because all of this stuff, the noise, the energies around you, all of that stuff plays so directly, is so directly correlated to how we feel about ourselves the power that we have within, not doubting that voice within, just being really clear on the company that you keep and what's around you. So you're not just, you're not just doing this work because so many people in our communities, right, are doing this internal work for themselves. But then again, like we said before, is being negated by the people sometimes in their circles and just loving yourself enough, whether it's through nutrition, through food, through yoga, through meditation, through breath, yeah, being really clear on what's around you in addition to what you're doing inside of you. Yeah. I love that. It's so relevant to the work that I do because once you wake up to like uh, the word I, the term we use in our communities, diet culture, like the diets being pushed in your face everywhere and the way diet culture manifests in like magazines and on social media, then you can start understanding that like that, like one, opting out where you can, unfollowing, you know, choosing oh, not to totally. consume certain things. And then if you can opt out, because sometimes it's inevitable, just even having that awareness of like, oh, this is in my environment and creating that space, it, you know, internal space if you can. Well said. Well yeah. said. Two little rapid fire questions that I, I ask at the end. So I typically ask um, other dietitians and nutrition professionals the question of what is your biggest diet culture pet peeve? But I want to ask you, what is your biggest pet peeve in the yoga world? That is that is such a loaded question. Sorry, I'm like rapid fire. Someone else laughed. No, at my no. last guest was it's like, "This is loaded- rapid fire. These are like so intense." No, but it's such a loaded question because uh, I also it's this question for me is extra loaded because I have a vested interest because I'm someone who leads teacher trainings. So and now after this group graduates that I love already so much, they graduate in May, I'll have about 70 graduates in New York and New Jersey. So I'm I'm so grateful. So I just, I have a vested interest and I have so many thoughts on this. Oh God. You know, I think I kind of shared it before actually it's, it's teachers who don't live their practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to be totally transparent because it's always who I am like you and honest and I wear my heart on my sleeve. I always have, um, I have been, and this might be like eye opening for people to hear, but it's important, I think for, to share this because I think I got into the yoga industry and I was very naive. I have been burned by disingenuous people and unethical people more in the yoga industry than I was like, stabbed in the back in corporate America for 14 years. Oh, I that is so fascinating. I know. Like, I know. Yeah. Because it's like, it's just so ironic because like the, the message they're putting out is one thing and the energy is another. Like, it's so interesting that you say that. What I think unfortunately is happening is the, 
the New York City yoga scene, and this breaks my heart every day because the studio that I taught at for four years closed very early on in the pandemic. 90% of the studios that I practiced at in New York closed. Um, a lot of great teachers that of mine have left the city. A lot of colleagues of mine have left the industry. It's really just, it's such a different beast. I, And it makes me sad because the offerings today do feel a bit different mm-hmm. than, than what was being offered. I do think we're sadly getting a little bit away from the authentic authentic yoga experience. It's a hard thing. It's a hard, it's a, that aspect is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's so fascinating to me. You've been burned more in the yoga world than in the corporate world. So your biggest pet peeve, we, we actually already really talked about the people not embodying their practice. And then this is my last short little question that is also a loaded question. <laughs> what does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? Beautiful question. Intuition. So the word for yoga for me has always been freedom since day one. And to this day, still yoga for me is freedom. Intuition for me. I think the word off the top of my head right now is just intuition is so sacred for me Mm. because like I shared before, it's how I communicate with God. And I know this might be really, this might be a lot for some people that, but again, just replace that word. If God is not your word, just replace Mm. it. But that, yeah, my intuition and what comes through for me in that divine whether it's guidance, clarification, information, how I channel and when I get downloads in my meditation, to me, like when I channel that intuition, that communication is just so sacred. Mm. I think that's the word that I would kind of use. I love that. I love that word. No one's ever, I ask everyone who comes on this question and it's so beautiful. No one ever says the same thing. It's so personal. And part two of that question is how do you experience it? Like when you get that, like your intuition is communicating with you, how do you experience that? I think it comes through in different forms. And I think it could be so individual for everyone. For me, my meditation practice is, and I want to show this, I forgot to mention this, Leah, that because I know a lot of people hear the word meditation, they get turned off. They're like, the first totally. thing, is so, it's like the default <laughs> answer always. The first thing everyone, especially New Yorkers, the first thing everyone says is, but I can't quiet my mind. Always. Um, so I like to say this. Meditation, because this is the module that we just did in teacher training, does not, when you're being introduced to a meditation practice, it does not have to be this, you know, rigid, sit with a straight spine on a meditation cushion. It doesn't have to start like that. It could, and you could start with really small digestible sessions, literally two minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, you build up. But because my intuition is very loud when I meditate, but I want to share this for anyone that might be interested in starting a meditation practice to facilitate and strengthen their intuition. There's, you know, for me, another part of my sacred practices. So I work a lot with private clients first thing in the morning, but before I work with them, it's kind of like ritual for me when I can do it. I'll wake up a little bit earlier. I'll make a pot of coffee. I I'm a huge 
advocate for journaling. We do it on all of my offerings. You know, I'll, I'll enjoy my coffee. I'll journal. I'll work with some aromatherapy, some essential oils. I'll ground myself. I'll prepare myself for the day. It'll just be like a really mindful start Mm -hmm. to the day. But I just want to share that because a meditation practice does not have to be a seated meditation. It does not have to be in Shavasana on your back. Your meditation of how you connect your intuition could be journaling. It could be a walking meditation in nature. Mm-hmm. It could be there's something called a shower meditation where you just stand in your shower and you close your eyes and you are just still and you just let the water wash over you and it it becomes very cleansing or very therapeutic. You know, there are so many ways to to open that vessel for your intuition. It doesn't have to be a rigid traditional meditation practice. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important for people to hear. I think people do get turned off by these things of like, I'll never do it. And it's very like all or nothing. And it's like, no, it can look something. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you to stay connected or learn more about you and your work? Thank you. My website is just ericastanzioniyoga.com. Instagram, just Erica Stanzioni Yoga. Um, I'm always rolling out a ton of retreats locally, internationally, trainings, workshops, all the things um, I would love to connect. And my emails right through my, you can email me right through my website. Awesome. Thank Thank you to all those things. Thank you so so much, Erica. It has been such a gift and so many things came through that I just couldn't have expected. I've loved chatting with you. And we've been aligned since day one. I'm so (laughs) grateful for you. If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week. Music.